Welcome to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. This podcast brings you teaching and preaching from our archives, and you can find more resources, audio, video, and books at unionpublishing.org. I want today to be a day of change for us all. And uh, looking at our union with Christ, this is a message that, as it's rung out through the years, has transformed many lives. It's transformed harassed, fretful lives. And it's transformed proud, puffed-up little lives. And turned such lives into joy-fueled, rich lives of often quite extraordinary potency. And so what I expect to see today is change. And what fun that's going to be. That I expect to see people who walked in with a swagger, so pleased with themselves, walk out simply more excited in their living God than they are in themselves. I expect and I hope to see people who walked in maybe secretly nursing a shame, feeling you don't belong here, feeling there's dirtiness inside and joy and confidence before God is not where you're at if you're realistic. To see such people walk out with head held high and eyes shining because they know the great love of Christ. And I'm hoping this will be a day that will be transforming for a lifetime for you. But there is, of course, a more immediate uh, context, our missions coming up. And, And I'm hoping that today, as we look at union with Christ, you will grow to love him more, see his love for you, such that come these events weeks, you really want to speak of him, and maybe something even more, more than just wanting to speak of him. I would love to see you so gripped by the love of Christ today that you're changed in such a way that your friends can just gather around you and say, hey, look, what's happened? You just seem happier, kinder. What's up? And you can say, well, now, let me tell you. Our theme is union with Christ. And when you see that, when you get this, the gospel becomes so much more satisfying, so much more truly thrilling. You see, I think... The reason I'm particularly excited to be speaking on this today is I think we can so often go through the Christian life with a gospel that, if we're really honest, is kind of okay, but after a while we're getting a wee bit bored of it. If we're really honest, we dare let ourselves think about it. And so let me tell you, here's the boring gospel. The boring gospel is this. It's the story of the heavenly headmaster and his naughty students. And basically it goes like this. We've all been busted smoking behind the bike sheds. So we're due a good caning. But a nice classmate called Jesus comes along and he takes the wax for us. And so the gospel is we can go home with a clean school report. Okay? Now, there is a lot to that. There's a lot to that. But it is very, very lacking as a gospel. 
And I think the problem is there. You might feel, well, Jesus is handy. It's nice that Jesus did that. And I, I kind of feel grateful to Jesus for taking the wax for me, but I don't necessarily love him at all. I, in this gospel, I get some stuff. I use him as my get-out-of-hell-free card. And so I'm thinking, well, thank you, Jesus, for buying me heaven. I'm glad I've got heaven for me and not hell because, well, I love me and I want good things for me. I don't necessarily love Jesus. So thanks, Jesus, you can go now. You've done your bit, you've done your job. See, that gospel is not a gospel about entering into a new life, a life of a loving relationship with the most lovely saviour. It's a blessing of just getting some stuff. And if that's your gospel, the Christian life is just going to be a bit weird, a bit of a faff, a drain. If it's just you get heaven, not hell, then, well, you'll be left chipper at the thought of your ultimate prospects. But, you know, heaven later, it just doesn't, just doesn't bite for the everyday. And so for every day... The gospel doesn't really transform me, give me joy. Now, does any of that ring a bell? I think we can too often go through with such a gospel. And what I want to press into today is a deeper richness by looking at the gospel of God the Son. You see, we start with a God who's not a headmaster. We start with a God who, before all things, in eternity past, was a father, loving his son, so delighting in his son that he wanted to share that love, to have many children. Not just to send us home with a clean school report, but to draw us in to his life and joy. To embrace us with the very love with which he's always embraced the son. And that's what I want us to press into today. I want to press into the gospel of God the Son, who comes from his Father's throne, who comes to us, unites himself with us, makes himself one with us by his Spirit, there to take us with him back to his Father, that we might call his Father what he's always called him, Abba and know the Son's own joy and love. That's what I want to press into today. Now, we've got three sessions to do it in. Three sessions. First one, what I want to do in this first session before lunch is I want to look at the benefit of union with Christ. What sort of salvation is this that the gospel offers? Then, after lunch, in the second session, I want to pile in a bit more to see, okay, what is this, how does this work? What does union with Christ mean exactly? It's an odd phrase. I don't use it much. What does it mean? Just unpack it a bit more. So we'll see this morning the benefit, the salvation we get in Christ. We'll see what that means a bit in the second session. And third session, as we go, we're going to be looking at life in Christ. So we're going to be looking at how living in Christ affects your motivation, affects your every day, how it sweetens life, mission, and the CU. All right? That's the agenda. 
Thank you for listening to Delighting in the Trinity. If this podcast has encouraged you and you would like to stay in touch with the ministry of Michael Reeves, then we would love to invite you to become a friend of Union. On signing up, you'll receive a free book from Union Publishing. Then you'll receive regular exclusive devotional material from us. You'll also have the chance to keep up with the latest news and updates from the ministry of Michael Reeves around the world. If you would like to become a friend of Union today, follow the link in the podcast description now. Thank you so much. So, our first session then. What is the benefit of union with Christ? What is the benefit of union with Christ? You ready? It's time to open your Bibles. So, come with me to... Where am I going to go? Genesis! Yes, Genesis 12. Come with me to Genesis 12. You wanted it to be Genesis, didn't you? And it is... Now, Genesis 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in or through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, the Lord is going to bless Abraham. Now, what is the heart of this blessing? What's the very heart of it, the kernel of it? Well, it's offspring, a son. So that through a son, Abraham can become the father of a nation. Through a son... God's blessing can bless all the families of the earth. And to reinforce that, look, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, to your son, I will give this land. See, the promised seed, the promised son, is what the blessing is all about. Without a promised son, there is no blessing. Abraham can't become a father of many. Now, Get that? Flick on now to Genesis 16. And uh, just as you do so, uh, 10 years have just gone by. I hope it doesn't feel like it, but 10 years have just gone by. Now, again, verse 1. Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Oh, not looking good. The whole blessing was a son. She's borne him no children. 10 years later. But she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, notice what Abram is doing here. He's trying to get the blessing of the son... By his own effort. He's trying to get the blessing of a son 
Sleep around if necessary. Fine. He's going to bring about, he's going to produce for himself the blessing of the son. Don't leave it to God because God's clearly not enabling his wife to conceive. So he will produce what God himself clearly won't or can't produce. And then Hagar, the slave girl, has a son, Ishmael. But he's not the promised son that God was speaking of. All Abraham could do by his effort was produce the son of a slave. On some more years, Genesis 17. Let's go from verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai anymore, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said, Shall shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's just given up on God. Can't believe it. And giving up on God, he wants that fruit of his own effort, Ishmael, to be the fountain of blessing. And it's not just Abraham who laughs. If you flick on Genesis 18, go to verse 10. There's this great, great scene where the Lord comes to Abraham. And we're gonna, it's, it's so cruel to skip over the, last, uh, the first few verses of Genesis 18. We're going to have to do it. Just going at verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you, Abraham, about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed like her husband. She laughed to herself, saying, After I am so worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied it and said, I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, you did. Do you see, well, the Lord has promised something absolutely impossible, a son to a couple in Zimmer frames. And then, Genesis 21. <clears throat> the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God has spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, 
Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said, who could have said that Abraham to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his very old age. When all possible confidence in the flesh, in their own ability, is so far gone as to make both Abraham and Sarah laugh, God provides. Abraham, by his own effort, had managed to produce a bastard son, the son of a slave, Ishmael. But all his effort could not produce a true son, a free son. That is how it is with sonship. It cannot be earned. And that's why it's given to us here, right at the beginning of the Bible, this first blessing to Abraham. Such a significant moment. The blessing is sonship. And you know it cannot be earned. It's so helpful to remember the salvation that God has to offer is sonship. If you're offended by my misogyny there, Calm down for a moment. I'll explain why I'm saying sonship and not daughtership as well. I have a reason. It's not just because I'm nasty. There's a reason. Just hang with the sonship language for a bit. It's just grating with you. The salvation God offers is becoming a true child of God. And it establishes beyond any question that it is all, it must be, a gift of God. That's the salvation God has to offer. You see, I think we often speak of the gospel like this, rather differently, that we say, well, God has got perfect standards, right? And the problem is that your standards don't quite match up to his. And we go, so that's the problem, is it? Well, if they don't quite match up, well, okay, I'm told I can't get my standards to match up, but I'll have a try. Right? And don't you do that the whole time? Even though you know it's silly, you go, I'll have a go today. You know, a few more minutes with the Bible. That, you know, that should just, yeah. But if salvation is to be adopted into God's family, our performance can have nothing to do with it. It's simply a wrong category because you can't buy your way into a family. I wish we could see more of Genesis 21 because verse 10, Sarah says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the Lord says she's absolutely right. Now, don't worry, the, the, the Lord's kind, Ishmael gets looked after. But the point is made very clearly. Ishmael, the child, the product of human effort, cannot get the inheritance. F 
effort can have nothing to do with God's blessing. God's blessing is sonship, becoming a child of God. And so effort can have nothing to do with it. Your efforts can make you a slave. But all your effort can never make you a son. All our efforts to win God's blessing by our own strength only produce slaves. Do you know that's what you're doing when you try to earn God's favor? You're turning yourself into a slave. Slaves don't inherit. Sonship is free. Now, that is absolutely critical to know for Christian health. Absolutely critical. I'll just give you an example. A couple of months ago, um, I got up really early in the morning to come and do a day's teaching. I was going to stand up in front of people and talk about Jesus. Now, I got up very early. I didn't have a quiet time. When I got in the car... Uh, five in the morning, whatever it was. I got driving. Started thinking about what I was going to do. And I hadn't prayed yet. And I almost slumped and just pulled over. Because I just thought, I, I can't do this. Because I, I feel cold-hearted. I, I don't feel full of love for Christ right now. And in a couple of hours' time, I'm going to be standing in front of a room of people telling them about Jesus. I can't do this. I'm going to be a hypocrite here. And so I was just rather crushed by my own failure, my cold-heartedness, by what was going to be a great act of hypocrisy. And then I remembered, as I carried on driving up the motorway. I remember, no, that's not how it works. God doesn't love me because my love for him has ever impressed him. My love doesn't buy his love. No, Jesus has washed all my sins away. And he has shared with me his own sonship. And so my love, it just doesn't buy his love. And, and I thought, actually, there's no pretense here. There need be none. Because God doesn't love some fictional version of me. If I'm successful, he loves me. No, he loves, he stooped down to love the real, failing, sinful, very foolish me. And when I suddenly thought, is that really, really true again this morning? The Father loves me, not because of my love, but because of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I began to love him again, truly, with no pretense. Now, if there was any earning, if I had to earn his love, I just couldn't have got through that day. I wouldn't have done it going there to stand in front of people and speak about Jesus. 
as it was that day, I went very refreshed in the knowledge of the love of Christ. And as I stood there with them all, I just belted out these songs. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. And I spoke with the deepest pleasure then of the Jesus who died for me because I remembered his love for the real failing me. Freely given. This is the heart of the Christian battle. Knowing that God's blessing is completely free for failures. Free adoption for real sinners. Because I'm just, all I ever do in life, basically, I'm just preaching to myself here. It, is that I go through life believing the devil's whisper, thinking, I'm just so inconstant, I'm so faithless, I'm so naturally cold-hearted, I'm so riddled with sin. My Christian life is so poor, I can't believe God can love me. You know, that's precisely when my Christian life gets poor when I believe that satanic lie. That lie that once I sought myself out, then he'll love me. Now what would any kind father think hearing that of their child? If my daughters ever thought that, daddy will love me when I sought myself out. I would be so, so upset. Father, hearing from his child, the child thinks they need earn his love. No, our heavenly father thinks, my child, please. You start by knowing that I love you. That I have always loved you. That if you Stop thinking about me. If you deliberately go off in sin, knowing how it will offend me, I still won't stop loving you. I will always love you. And nothing you do, nor sin, nor death, can stop me, my beloved child. I was looking recently at Isaiah 43. You don't need to turn to it if you don't want to, but these words from the beginning of Isaiah 43, it's exactly this territory. And what's interesting about them is the Lord says these remarkable words to a people who are so messed up in their sin, who are so failing. And the Lord says to them, Thus says the Lord, he who created you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they'll not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Because... 
Can you imagine the Lord of hosts saying this from heaven of you, of you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. This God finds his glory in making you his, in taking one who never deserves it and giving you everything. The salvation that God offers is uniting you to his son to make you his beloved child. And there's simply no way to earn sonship. It's about love, not business. Well, okay. Let's press in a bit. Further in, further up. What is this salvation like? What is this becoming a son united to Christ? What, what, what does it mean? Well, let's start with Jesus. Always a good thing to do, by the way. God the Father has only one son. Only one. That's very important. He has one son. So if that's true, how can Jesus, for example, when he meets Mary on resurrection morning, she meets him, she's so pleased to see him, and he says, Mary, I'm about to ascend to my God and your God, to my father and your father. How can he say that to her when God has only one son? Well, this is why I keep using the phrase sonship. Because, of course, while you can talk of sons and daughters of God, the status we are given before God the Father is quite specifically the status of the Son, of Jesus Christ, God the Son himself. And that's why it's good to talk about sonship. It's not a sexist thing to talk about sonship. It's being clear that we share precisely in nothing less than what the son himself has. So ladies, the guys have got to get used to being part of the bride of Christ. Yeah? And we're all sons of God. So we'll say sons and daughters, children of God, but it's helpful to say sonship because we're not talking about just some bland blessing. We are brought to have the very life of the Son with all that he has before the Father. Come and see the enormously influential Galatians 4.4. Come with me. Galatians 4.4. 4. It's in the New Testament, by the way. If you spend all your time in the Old Testament, then you'll not be so familiar with this stuff. But Galatians 4.4. 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. I, I love that. In the, in, in the NIV, it just says God sent his son. I, I think it misses the majesty of that moment. God sent forth his son. 
the Prince of Heaven, the power of God, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we all might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that we cry, Abba, Father. This is union with Christ. You see, the spirit who comes into us is the spirit of the son making us cry the very cry of the Son, Abba. Now, did you notice what Paul had just done then in Galatians 4.4? Did you notice something weird about it? He's writing this letter, Galatians, in Greek. But then he inserts this one Aramaic word, Abba, in. Why? It's a very odd thing to do, to suddenly flip language like that, with no warning, no explanation. Well, there's another moment when that same word is just dropped into a Greek text. It's in Mark 14, where Jesus is praying in the garden the night before he's killed. And there in Mark 14, you hear Jesus speaking in private with his father. And he says, Abba, Father. It's translated for us as Father, but we're given the actual word he uses, Abba. Paul is showing us, as personally as he can, That sonship means being given the very relationship with the Father that God the Son has always enjoyed. We come before the Father now just as Jesus always has. Just as Jesus does. Abba. It is Jesus' personal name for his father and he shares it with us it's the little family name it's a very intimate word and you can actually hear it just in the word Abba Abba now a tiny little child couldn't articulate the word father but even a baby can babble Abba For that is what Jesus shares with us, a childlike intimacy, trust, and love. Now, there are people who sometimes think, hang on. We are talking about the Most High God here, the creator of all. Isn't it a bit strong to talk about such closeness and intimacy with him? Isn't all this really just an accommodation to the chumminess of our age. There are no social hierarchies anymore, are there? You know, wouldn't that sort of thinking breed a sort of cheeky over-familiarity with God, wouldn't it? No. 
No, never, never play down the closeness and intimacy that Jesus has given us with his Father. You simply remember who is your Abba. My dear Abba, who loves me to death and simply could not love me more, is the Most High, the Holy One. All-powerful, perfect in beauty. That doesn't mean distance. It does mean great wonder. There's no cheekiness. But when you conceive it, awe, an extraordinary joy. I, I can never get over it myself. The thought that each morning I wake up a failure and I can say, Abba, my almighty Abba, you hear me and I can take all my requests to you. Now, I think all this speaks so deeply to us today. Today, I think precisely because our culture has so lost so thoroughly forgotten the gospel, more than ever, people are hungering to belong. And they'll go through all sorts to fit in, to try to belong to some group. They will cover up who they really are. They will be who they think others want them to be. They will push themselves desperately. They will sweat in order to belong. And yet they still feel they don't quite belong. They feel they can't belong. Now, what good news we have to give them here in this gospel of union with Christ before his Father. Now, my friend... If that's anything like where you are right now, then know this. Wherever you're at, whoever you really are, whatever it is you've been doing, know this. As the Father ran out, arms outstretched, to welcome home his son in the story of the prodigal. So he is now, arms outstretched to welcome his wayward son. So the Almighty One is. His arms are outstretched, his eyes gleaming with love. He would have you with him now. He would have you belong with him ultimate acceptance, absolutely free and forever. Now, if it's the word father that puts you off, your own experience has soiled that word for you. I'm so sorry for you. If your earthly father wasn't kind father you could go to 
I'm so sorry. Your earthly father was supposed to reflect this one. But we're all sinners. We're all made in the image of God, supposed to reflect him, but we're all rotten, mean, sometimes downright cruel. And in fact, the reason why the cruelty of men stinks so much is because of how it contrasts with him. For none of the cruelty that we see in men means that there is any in him. The father of lights in whom there is no darkness at all. The father of lights, never too busy, never cold, snide, never thoughtless or abusive. He is the source, the essence, the perfection of love. It is his arms that are open to you wherever you are at now and which will never let his dear children go. This is what Jesus died to give you. In John 15, he said to his friends, no longer do I call you servants. I've called you friends. In Hebrews 2, he says he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Him. Not ashamed to call us brothers. And so he has given to all his brothers and sisters a new name. Children of his father. If you'll have it, this will be your new identity. Before anything else, you will not be defined as a sinner. You will not be defined as fat or thin, successful or a failure, beautiful or ugly, gay or straight. You may not have been sure of your faith when you walked in here this morning but if you'll have Jesus even now even for the first time then with him in him you are the apple of the almighty father's eye not the mask you get the world to love you despite your efforts, despite what you're like, despite strengths and weaknesses, you are loved. You are in. You belong. Let me pray for us now. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Father, Abba,
you are so loving, perfect in love. And how your love wins us to love you back. Now I pray for my brothers and sisters here that knowing your free adoption in Christ of real failures, I pray that each one of us may rejoice in you and be delivered from the spirit of bondage. I pray that each passing day we may cry more strongly, Abba. Knowing that as surely as you love your son, we are your unrejectable heirs. In the name of our firstborn brother, Jesus. You've been listening to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. Union is devoted to growing leaders and growing churches. Our School of Theology equips leaders for ministry. Union Publishing supplies them and their churches with quality theological resources and books. Union Mission supports and financially helps church planting and revitalization. And Newton House, Oxford, invests in the next generation of theologians and scholars. Our vision is to see leaders and their churches the world over reformed and renewed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out about our courses and learning communities around the world, to buy union books, to discover support for your church plant, or to become a friend of union and support our ministry, visit www.theola.gy.